everybody, Sean Sewell with the Engagement.com podcast. Very excited to have back on the show Dr. Craig Marker for part two. Now, Craig and I have been sharing notes back and forth, and Eric's been chiming in too. We've been getting so excited about mitochondria and, and how to train effectively and efficiently that Professor Marker has put together a presentation for us today. So kids are getting back into school. Us adults, we're about ready to learn, so get a pen and paper and get ready to learn from Dr. Craig Marker. Craig, welcome. From, thanks for being back on the show. Awesome to be back. I, if, if anything, it would be a good uh, cure for insomnia. So uh, if, if we don't learn things, we'll, we'll put people to sleep. So Yeah, it'll be good to sleep too. I like that. Well, excellent. Um, so in the last episode, we touched on a, some really cool topics on uh, rest intervals, exposure therapy, um, what mitochondria is. We're going to get into more detail of that for sure. Um, how it translates into training for various activities and sports. And and just how to how to do it do it well. So uh, I'll let you take it over, Craig. All right. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I we were talking about things, and you know, I, I felt bad because we kept mentioning zero three three, and we were kind of covering it a little bit. I thought we could go a deeper dive in what we're thinking is happening, and and I, I thought it's it's just always fun to talk about these mechanisms because it affects so much of our health, and not just you know not just muscles and and you know endurance. It just affects um, you know things like insulin sensitivity and, and those type of things. So I thought if we, if we can go a little deeper, we can get into maybe some of the more of the mechanisms. And maybe we'll start off with just muscles and how muscles work. And I, I find this fascinating. I mean, it's a, it's a very mechanical process. I mean, we have these, um, and, I, I, and if people are watching the video, I'm gonna have some little presentations, but I'm gonna try to describe them really well as we go through things. Um, but we have uh, these little ores basically that, um, attach or grab onto a little filament and then sort of row themselves. And that's how muscles contract. They, they basically attach on, pull, um, release, attach on and pull. And that's how muscles contract. And it's this very mechanical process. And so, you know, I, I think that's, that's to me, it's just fascinating that we have these little things that just are, you know, that's what's creating the muscle fiber to move. Um, and it moves through this ATP. And I think people have heard of, uh, uh, adenosine triphosphate ATP and it's always been we're always told this is the currency of our energy system um, but what actually happens when the muscle moves is that that ATP with water we lose a phosphate and it allows that um, that mechanism that rowing mechanism to, to happen um, and then there's some other parts of that the what the the ore is attaching to needs there's a needs to be a gate that allows it to move um, and that ATP is for that process. Um, ATP is also used to relax the muscle which is also kind of interesting to me that we're using energy to relax and to pump um, the calcium back into the system we need ATP to relax. So ATP is the, the currency it's actually what helps us contract our muscles and to re release our muscles. Um, in order to make ATP, that's where we get into some of these mechanisms and we get into the mitochondria. So I thought, and then if it's, it's, if it's okay with you, I'll just kind of continue talking about ATP and, and sort of that, that process of, um, you know, breaking it down and building it back up. Um, and again, the ATP, the T is for tri. So there's three phosphate mo molecules on it. Um, when one phosphate molecule breaks off or is cleaved off, we get energy. 
we'll let, we're left with two, so ADP, a diphosphate, and then we can break off another one and have a little, we have a little bit less energy, but we can break off another one and then we get AMP monophosphate. So it's kind of this, this process that uh, how we create energy and we want to add more phosphate molecules back to build it back up. Um, and so we have our different energy systems for that. And it's kind of, it's just such a fascinating system how we're built to create energy and we've got these very quick systems and very slow and efficient systems and you know the you know the one system that we have that's really quick is just we have atp built into our muscles and in our type 2 fibers we have some atp um, if we go a full out effort that ATP just dissipates really quickly. It's, it's just gone. Um, we can't store much of it. Uh, if, if we could store tons of ATP, we would be so explosive, so powerful all the time, but we just have a limited amount. And, you know, kind of we, you know, thinking about it evolutionarily, if we trip and we need to catch ourselves, that's, you know, we need it quick. We need it in the muscles, ready to go. And our body sort of protects that quick mechanism. It just wants some on reserve at all times. It's like a savings account but it's not a very large savings account. So that's our, our quick ATP system. And then from there, we have to kind of make it. Um, we have to you know, go earn our ATP um, in, in some respects. So the second fastest system, the second most powerful system is the, create, the, the phosphagen system or the, the phosphate um, uh, system. So the phosphocreatine system um, and, you know, I don't know if you've taken creatine before. Um, I've taken creatine. It's probably one of the safer, safest supplements. It's one of the things that we see a lot of results with. And when we take that, basically the phosphocreatine allow it, it um, gives up a, phos, uh, um, a phosphate molecule very easily. So ADP can become ATP um, very quickly. Okay, I'll add to that. I've, I've taken creatine on and off for at least 20 years, and I've definitely noticed myself uh, increase in performance. And so that's that's cool to see how it works. Yeah, yep. And and again, this is it's not as quick as the stored, but it's very quick and just you know it's one of the, it's the most efficient. Just here's a, here it's <laughs> donating a phosphate. Here you go, take it. No, uh, you know it's it's a pretty quick exchange. There's not a lot of uh, energy going on in that exchange. But again, we can't, can't store that much creatine in our body. You can take um, jugs and jugs of creatine and we're just going to excrete it out. We can only store so much of that. So again, this is, you know, an, another way we can get it and, and having taking creatine or we get it from food sources uh, only allows us to store so much energy. So again, we have to find other ways to create this, this, um, ATP in our body. Um, the next system is the, the glycolytic system. And the glycolytic system is not as efficient. It's, it's the, and, and I'm calling it the glycolytic system. There, there's sometimes it's called the slow glycolytic and fast glycolytic. Um, it gives us ATP at different points in the process, um, but it's not um, that efficient of a system. And I'll give you, let me uh, kind of describe what I mean by not so efficient um, in a second, but the glycolytic system is where we feel the burn. And so if, you know, the acid part. So as we're doing all out effort and we go for a few minutes or, you know, over 30 seconds, the system's really kicking in. 
And in the process of kicking in, we start to feel that acid. And what we're really feeling is it's producing an excess number of hydrogen molecules and that, that excess hydrogen starts to build up and that's that, that acid that's building up in our system. Um, so it's not efficient in that it doesn't clean up its own mess. It just uh, keeps this hydrogen and the aerobic system, which I'll talk about next is what's actually cleaning up that extra hydrogen that's in our system um, and that extra acid. So if our aerobic system can't catch up our glycolytic system's just out there creating a huge mess. And I, I've got, um, if people are watching the video, you see this really uh, terrible looking set of chemistry uh, equations going on. Um, I, it's just kind of highlight that glycolytic process. So um, two things to note from this. One, there's a lot of leftover hydrogen um, in this, this process. And the other, it takes ATP to create, uh, to get this process started. So you're already using ATP. It's not a very smart system that you're using ATP to get it going. It's um, like a electric generator that needs electric starter or something to get it going. And as you know, in the end it builds up more ATP, but it still takes up some just to get it going. Um, the other component that's really uh, kind of a big deal in this slide is that um, the cars that carry the hydrogen, um, NAD, uh, carries the hydrogen around. And kind of, hydrogen's kind of a dangerous molecule by itself. And you know, the, the Hindenburg um, you know, blimp was a hydrogen uh, blimp and it just burned. And so if hydrogen's left out there, just as it's kind of a dangerous um, element. So the NAD carries it around. And when this process goes, we start to build up more and more hydrogen. We have less NAD to, to carry it around. Um, NAD is also used for cellular repair. So part of the reason that with a lot of glycolytic work, we might be breaking down some of that DNA and some of the damage we do, um, it's from the acid, but also we have less NAD to kind of repair DNA damage. And, um, you know, so that, that could be part of that, that repair mechanism that over the long term, we don't want to do a lot of glycolytic work um, because we also have that NAD deficiency. That makes sense. And, and before we started recording, I was mentioning, I don't train in this system very often. In this weekend, we, we did a coach's course. And we spent a lot of time in the system and we are all destroyed. Like we are all sore. <laughs> And is that because of the hydrogen or is that because of the lactic acid? Yeah, lactic acid is just a sort of a proxy for that, that hydrogen, that acid buildup. So, yeah, we often hear that, you know, lact lactic acid is just um, in this process. It's actually just another energy source. So your body will turn that lactic acid into energy. So it's not a bad thing. It's just the hydro. It, it's a proxy for the hydrogen that's building up. Cool. Thank you for explaining that. That makes more sense. Yeah. Yep. And then those... Um, yeah, you feel the burn for a few days. That, it's not pleasant. That damage by that acid bath can really, you know, build up. Um, you know, again, once in a while is not a, a terrible thing, but, um, you know, you, you said you felt it for a few days afterwards. Yeah, and even the other athletes that went through the course are very well conditioned, um, especially in the CrossFit background where they spend a lot more time in this kind of uh, area. And they were like a lot of NSAIDs, a lot of ibuprofen the last few days. <laughs> and that's not the way I want to live, and that's not the way I want to train people. But... Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, you feel it. Is there long-term damage if you spend more or more time in that zone? You know, and I think it, uh, my answer is always it depends, and it probably depends a little bit on age. You know, we, you know, when we're younger, we have a lot more NAD to get rid of that hydrogen. We can, 
you know, there's certain people that are kind of built more for glycolytic um, type exercise. And, you know, like if you think about just sports, um, you know, the 800 meters in track, um, it's, it's kind of a glycolytic sport. And some people are just built for that type of sport. And, um, you know, so I, I think it depends on a little bit of individual differences on how well you get rid of it. But as you get older, you tend to, to not get rid of it as easily. I think there's some damage that can occur long-term. Um, some things we can do to mitigate it is to build a better aerobic system. And I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's some pretty good research saying that too much of it is a bad thing. Um, some of it is not, you know, it, it's a signaling process too. If, we, if our body needs energy, there's things that are happening. This glycolytic acid kind of signals other processes that, hey, you got to get better at this. You know, we need energy. You got to build some more mitochondria, but too much of it is is not a good thing. Cool. Thank you for clarifying that. Thanks. Yeah. And, and one of the things, I mean, when we're in this really big acidic state, um, I mentioned even, you know, the, the, the little gates where the muscles kind of move along, they stop working and our muscles get almost stiff and like coordination gets a little bit difficult when mm -hmm. I noticed that this weekend, people were just, you know, shaky legs and not good. Yeah. Well, that's yep. pushing it. Yeah. So when we're, when we lose coordination and like, even, you know, when we can't relax our muscles, that's when we can cause more injury too. So I think maybe some of it's an indirect effect of it um, that, you know, if we're too glycolytic, we just lose a little bit of the coordination. Our muscles can't work as well if we get too acidic. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, and I, I, I've, when I first learned that, you know, relaxation um, is inhibited, you know, through too much um, acid and not enough ATP, you know, it's like, wow, even we can't relax when we're, we're that acidic. So we can't go faster and we can't relax either. So it's, it's kind of a double bind um, if we're going all out for too long. Very good. That makes sense. Yeah. So, I, and, and those issues, again, the glycolytic system is something we need. It's that sort of the aerobic system that I'm going to talk about next takes a little bit to ramp up and to become, you know, at its optimal and its optimal is still not as as powerful as the glycolytic system so the glycolytic system is is quick it gives us power but it's a little bit uh dirty of a system creating a little bit too much exhaust it's like a, a old 70s muscle car or something it it, it it can tear out for a short distance and but all kinds of smoke and it's not going to be very fuel efficient but it you know it can get the tires burning a little bit and and um so it's it's a it's a useful system for some things, but for sure, that's a fun analogy too. I like that. Yeah, the um, and then so uh, yeah, we'll go right to the aerobic system. The aerobic system um, is a pretty complicated system. I have a slide showing it. Many of you who've had like the Krebs cycle have learned this before, um, but it's going through the process. It takes the it's um, creating NADH. Um, it's an efficient. Uh, dropping off little uh, hydrogen ions to the um, electron transport chain. The electron transport chain moves the hydrogen ion along the path. And in the end, it's, it's kind of, this is a, there's like a little crank and it's like a mechanical crank that cranks a phosphate molecule onto uh, diphosphate. And, you know, it's, 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 again, it's this mechanical system, which is amazing inside the body that we have these mechanical systems. Um, so these, this little electron traveling through this electron transport chain can cause problems at times if we're, um, you know, if 
if the system gets backed up, um, these electrons will start flying off, and it's, it's, it's sometimes called the reactive oxidative species, the uh, ROS. Um, antioxidants are thought to clean this up. Um, but, you know, these, you know, so these, this reactive oxidative process is, is thought to be a bad thing, but also that can be a good signaling process too, so that um, we need um, every once in a while to signal off of, of that, you know, we need more, uh, a more efficient system. We need more mitochondria. So if we're, you know, trying to pump out ATP and, you know, we're giving all the, the system, you know, the input, but the output's, you know, not fast enough, the electrons are going off and saying, hey, this is not working. Let's, let's fix this system. And it might get rid of inefficient mitochondria. Um, it might signal a process to create more mitochondria. So all of these things have an interesting feedback loop to them. So nothing is good or bad. It's all just the right amount of things. Oh, cool. That, make, that makes more sense. I like that. Yeah. Um, and, and this, you know, so, so just thinking about supplements, we talked about creatine. I'm not advertising supplements or anything. But one of the, the processes that take place is um, that first traveling in the electron transport chain is by COQ10. Um, and you may have heard of COQ10. People take that sometimes. It just kind of creates a more efficient process of, of traveling that electron. So, you know, I think as people get older, maybe it's useful to take COQ10, you know, that might create less um, oxidative processes, you know, that, you know that, that aren't useful signaling things that are causing um, damage in the system. Um, you know, if you have enough, you have enough. You don't necessarily need to take more of it. But, you know, as people get older, um, you know, that might be something if I were a nutritionist or somebody who um, could recommend it, I'd recommend it. Um, also, people who take statins for lowering cholesterol, statins interfere with COQ10. So it actually can cause more damage um, if you're taking statins because you're, you're creating more reactive oxidative species. So I, I recommend anybody who taking statins also talk to your doctor about taking COQ10 as well. That's super helpful. Yeah, I was very, I'm very aware of uh, COQ10, but and I feel like I took it years ago, but I have no idea why I took it. I, I, I was taking things and I would just take it for months to see if my life got better. If I didn't, uh, I didn't take it again. Yeah, no, and I, I do the same thing. Like, I, like, this is, you know, I read a study, like people who have more COQ10 have less heart attacks. So I thought, oh, I'll take it. But then I never really see a result or measure it or, right. um, and I don't really know the mechanism. So this is part of the reason I dive deeper and get the mechanisms. But, um, you know, and I think, it's one of those things. If you have enough, you have enough. You, you know, taking more of it's not really that helpful. So um, yeah, I think maybe as you get older, it might be useful. But. Excellent. Yeah. The, you know, kind of moving on, I should have shown this as I was talking about the COQ10, but, um, you know, this is the transporting of the electron. And again, this is a pretty dangerous little, little guy that's, you know, if it gets into your system, it just shoots through things and breaks things. And um, so the COQ10 takes care of it in the electron transport chain. The NAD is taking care of it uh, as it's moving through the system. So we want to have enough of each of those. Um, uh, people have been advocating, David Sinclair has been advocating taking um, NAD type supplements and he recommends, you know, different, different types to replenish the NAD. Um, and, and maybe that's useful. I think it's the research on it's a little bit mixed and probably because it's difficult to get into the cells where it's, it's needed. Um, and again, the NAD is the car that takes the hydrogen places. 
if we don't have enough of that, we have too much hydrogen building up. And it's NAD also triggers the DNA repair process. So if we don't have that, you know, then we can start having more DNA damage. So David Sinclair and others are talking about this is maybe what's causing aging. And, and I really like the theory. It's just how do we get NAD into our system? Um, and that's the big I, question I have. I, I agree with you on that. I know there's so many things that are beneficial on paper, right? But like if you consume them, they get potentially destroyed in the gut or can't cross certain barriers or yeah, I, there's a lot of variables that I don't know how to control. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I like to experiment. Um, I know that there are practitioners that are doing intravenous NAD that, you know, puts it right in the blood and then people are, are advocating it's good for substance use. And I don't really understand um, the mechanism of why that would be good. And I don't really know how useful it is. You know, is it, you feel good when you're getting this in your blood, but maybe, you know, how long does that last? Yeah. I think the body can, you know, self-correct. Um, and I don't know how quickly it does that. So again, I, I, I'm not advocating intravenous NAD or anything like that, but I just know people are experimenting with different ways of getting it into the blood. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, very interesting stuff. Dig it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so I don't recommend anything for others that I don't try myself and I haven't tried, tried that um, myself. So it's a pretty <laughs> far leap for me to try that. But, yeah. That's on the cusp of my threshold, I think too. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't mind trying a new pair of shoes or something fun, but uh, uh, intravenous, I, I'll just pass on that. Yeah. Um, so. I like that. Slide. This is going to blow some minds. This is cool. So yeah, just talking about um, last time we talked, we talked a lot about zero thirty three. We are acting like everybody knows what zero thirty three is, and and I think it's kind of useful just to talk about what this protocol is, and and actually before I even talk about this, maybe I'll just talk about some of the other protocols and what else has been um, what we've learned before this. Um, so, mafetone. Um, Phil Maffetone, he's got the Maffetone number we might, you might have heard of. Um, he did a lot with uh, triathletes and um, he, he kind of was looking at what would be useful for them in building a better aerobic system. And so he worked with Mark Allen. Mark Allen was a pretty good triathlete, but had started tailing off um, and went to Maffetone. I don't know the exact story of it, but uh, Maffetone said, do not get in the glycolytic zone and um, you know, train like this for six months and I guarantee that you'll be, and I'm exaggerating the story, of course, I don't know what the dialogue was, but I guarantee that you'll be great again. And that's what happened. And so Mark Allen had to you know, push his bike up hills because he couldn't get above a heart rate of a certain amount. He had to do everything in the aerobic zone, couldn't get in the glycolytic zone at all, always avoided that glycolytic process. And Maffetone defines um, that glycolytic process by a heart rate. Mm -hmm. And he says, take 180 minus your age. And that will be your, now it's called the Maffetone number, but don't ever go above that number. So imagine a, an elite tri, I just think this is fascinating how he bought, Mark Allen bought into this, an elite triathlete saying, I'm not gonna go above 130. And you know, if, if my heart rate gets close to that, I'm gonna get off my bike and push, or I'm gonna just start walking if I'm running. Um, so that's pretty extreme. And uh, Peter Park, who trained uh, Lance Armstrong, would do that um, in the off season with, with Lance Armstrong. And, um, you know, and 
I think others will talk about this. The, the aerobic system is, is utilizing fat for energy, where the glycolytic system is using carbohydrates, um, a lot of simple sugars. So um, when we do a glycolytic burning type workout, we're hungry afterwards. We're often, you know, just, we just want to scarf down a lot of food. And sometimes that leads to, to, to me, it kind of leads to like sugar craving, like I'm just hungry all the time. And then the cycle of, I eat a lot, then I train hard with a glycolytic workout, and then I want to eat more, et cetera, et cetera. The aerobic maffetone type of workouts are fat, you, you burn more fat, you can be fat adapted, you're not going to feel like you need a bunch of carbohydrates to replenish your system. That um, efficient aerobic system, it's slower because it has to take very complicated fat molecules and break them down for, for energy. Um, so Peter, uh, Peter Park worked with Lance Armstrong trying to get him more fat adapted and that he wouldn't need all these gel packs, you know, and, and um, you know, on the Tour de France. I'm sure they still use it um, then, but, you know, if, if the more fat you can use, you've got a lot more fat on your body than, um, you know, you can store carbohydrates. Yeah, good point. Much more uh, calorically dense. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, so Maffetone had that system and it was just basically train the aerobic system, don't ever go glycolytic. Verkoshansky, who is really known for plyometrics, uh, he's a Soviet um, uh, coach who trained a lot of Olympians and you know the, the um, shock jumps that he came up with is what he's really known for, which became plyometrics today. Um, he also was working on this sort of anti-glycolytic training and his his idea was not just do aerobic, but do that um, creatine phosphate system and aerobic. Don't, don't ever do the glycolytic in the middle. So go as fast and hard as you can, then let the aerobic system clean up and, you know, recreate the ATP and do it again. So, um, you know, um, on the strong first forums, they have a lot of talk about A plus A, mm -hmm. um, the lactic plus aerobic, the lactic to that quick um, system, and never glycolytic. That makes complete sense. I remember back in the Mountain Strong course, uh, it was the first time I saw the A and A, and I, I know I know where this is going. I, I'm super excited because avoiding that that system that's dirty, that muscle car burning out system. <laughs> I, I yeah, exactly. So you you drive the Prius to work and then um, you get in the Maserati to, <laughs> I don't know where you're going, um, someplace. But um, so you're in the super efficient fast car once in a while, but then most of the time you're driving your Prius to work. Um, but never in your dirty muscle car. Um, I don't know. <laughs> That's a fun analogy part. might be falling apart, but um, yeah, but that A plus A, you know, um, uh, you know, I think is a really interesting protocol. And, and maybe an example of this would be, you know, 10 kettlebell swings every minute on the minute and doing that for a good amount of time, uh, you know, like, you know, maybe 20 minutes one day, 30, and then 40, and kind of varying the times every day. But, you know, it's, you know, some have even said the maffetone number, try to avoid, you know, going above the maffetone number. Um, you know, and, and that's a little bit difficult, because when you get done with your set of swings, your heart's racing a little bit, um, you can maybe go a little bit above the maffetone number, and then but you're going back down, the aerobic system's kicking in, recreating the ATP. So. Um, those are those are really efficient um, programs, and I, I like those A plus A style, mm -hmm. ten swings every minute for a long long time. Um, you know, I, I think what Pavel did was he was trying to figure out 
you know, that glycolytic system, again, it's a good signaling system. We want that, that process to signal more mitochondria. And, and if we can push into that glycolytic system a little bit and then back off, um, and it, just kind of making sure you get uh, as powerful as possible and then back off. And that's what 033 really came out of. It's, it's a little bit more of a, um, it's like an A plus A system, but just a little bit more where you're pushing yourself into that uncomfortable zone. So um, 033, there's two variations of it. Um, the one that I tend to, to explain, and probably the one that probably most people know is you do 10 sets of swings, um, every minute, two minutes, um, so two, two rounds of that. And you take a minute rest and you'll do 10 push-ups um, and 10 every minute um, uh, for two minutes. So it's four minutes total or five minutes total. Um, so just again, minute one, 10 swings, minute two, 10 swings, minute three, you're resting, minute four, 10 push-ups, minute five, uh, 10 push-ups. Um, and then you repeat this cycle and you can repeat it three times, four times or five times. It, it depends on the day. You vary how many times you repeat it each time. Um, so that that's a pretty efficient program. Um, there's another variation of it where instead of every minute, you do five every 30 seconds. And, you know, I think for push-ups, you want your push-ups to be as powerful as possible. If people are getting to eight, nine, 10 push-ups and they're a little bit slow, we want them to, you know, do five of those every 30 seconds instead. So the glycolytic system on push-ups tends to kick in. We don't have as large of muscles. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I, I think for push-ups and less people are really good, you probably want to go five every 30 seconds for those. Um, and again, yeah, those smaller upper body muscles just don't react as, as quickly to, you know, the glycolytic system has to be used. Absolutely. And can I add to it? Um, is it okay to, um, supplement the uh, the push-up with, uh, say, a, a angled push-up for somebody who might be able to not do an explosive push-up, like on the couch or a suspension trainer? Like that. I, I think that's, yeah, no, that's awesome. Like anything that um, you can be explosive with. So wherever you're at, you know, if you're, um, you know, they talk about bands and not everybody can use a band in a very efficient way. Maybe an angle would be better, but putting a band around your chest yeah. and then attaching it to something behind you. So it gives you a little bit, you know, of uh, assistance. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of variations that people could do. And also you can make it more difficult too. So um, if, if you're really good at push-ups using a weighted vest or a band, around your hands that goes around your back to give you more resistance could, could work as well. So um, yeah, anything that you need to be as explosive as possible, but enough resistance as well. Perfectly explained. Yeah, and, and I, we talked about last week, um, you know, the swing works really well for this because you can be explosive, um, pushing to 10, it kind of, you know, the timing is kind of always the same. Um, we don't want anything to grind out and same with the push-ups. We don't want grinding uh, out of movements. Um, but, you know, we've done some alternatives. We did some jumping squats. Um, it was kind of ruled out because not everybody has good squat form and trying to be explosive when you're not very good at squatting is not a, a great combination. Um, you know, dips, Pavel really likes dips for instead of push-ups, but not everybody has rings or, you know, a dip bar. Um, 
you know, but you can be very explosive on, with dips. Um, I we did a Viking push press, um, which it, it's just a, it's just a press, but um, as it comes down, you kind of uh, squat into it a little bit and then press it right back up. So um, it's a very explosive press that you're going to do. So that could be instead of the the push-ups as well. Yeah. When I was doing this program and I put a lot of my people through it, I did add in a little bit of variety like that. And they, they, they loved the Viking push press. The jerk was too slow. Um, although the jerks are a lot of fun, but not for this. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, and, and I, I think the most important thing for people is if you're not explosive, this is not, then you're not doing the program because you, you want, um, the reason we're doing this is we want to drain all that ATP out of the body and very quickly. The more quickly we drain ATP, the more we signal the body to create more mitochondria. And it, and it actually signals AMPK, which is the AMP, um, the monophosphate, and then that's the kinase, which um, when you start having AMP in the body, that AMPK um, you know, is a good signaling molecule. And that's we'll go into that in a little bit more detail in a second. but. Um, that's why we do these very explosively, drain the heck out of the system um, as quickly as possible, um, and then recover um, with that rest interval. So I, I see people grinding out push-ups. It's like, no, stop, stop. Um, you, you don't want to grind on these. You, you want to be explosive. So. Absolutely. And I don't want to take us in the wrong direction, but um, we mentioned last time using other things like the Concept 2 rower or an assault bike those would be effective and safe to, if, as long as you're going almost all out, right? Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think just um, times, you'll have to kind of figure out timing of it. Um, the, the rower works pretty well in, um, in this protocol because you just have to go really fast. And I'd say probably, you know, 12, 13 seconds, maybe. Um, wow, that sounds very specific, but, you know, 12 to 15 seconds, um, as powerful as possible. Um, and then, you know, getting in and out of the rower is not a problem because you've got rest intervals in between. So it's for some things, you know, getting in and out of the rower is difficult, but this protocol, it works well. Um, the one thing with the rower or with kettlebells or with whatever, if you're going through these and you can't repeat your performance, then you've used too much. Um, you're you're going to get too glycolytic. So your first set should look like your you know, fifth set or your third set. Um, it should be just as powerful. And, and I think the rower really allows us to see that. We can see how many um, meters we row or we can see different calories, you know, how many calories we, we row um, in a certain amount of time. So um, accelerometer works really well for kettlebell swings. We want to be super powerful and we want that to be the same over time. I dig that. And that, that goes back to your hurt idea. Like, repeat these things until you it diminishes if it diminishes that's it yep yep yeah you, then you you've you've taken on too much weight so you need more rest you need you, you just stop for the day um, <laughs> put in so, the word yep. <laughs> yep. so yeah um you know if we kind of moving on with this idea a little bit but when we think about that um, buildup of hydrogen. And this, uh, what I have on the screen is a study, um, I believe this was done with swimmers, and they were looking at um, acid in the blood. And um, this, 
actually, this is not from swimmers. I, I'm trying to remember who came up with this study, but I'll, I'll figure that out and we can put it in the show notes. But basically, it looks at how much work to rest. And in each one of these graphs that I, the lines that I have shown, it's the same one to two work to rest interval. And you would think that if I'm working, you know, if you work for 10 seconds and then I have 20 seconds rest, I would be able to replenish the system and not build up acid. If I, and the same as if I'm doing 30 seconds of work, 60 seconds of rest, or 60 seconds of work and 120 seconds of rest. But what happens with the body, again, the longer we go, the less we can get rid of the acid, we build up more acid. And so if we do 60 seconds of work, which are a lot of uh, like uh, so-called HIT style programs, even if we take two minutes of rest, we can't get rid of that acid out of our body. So, you know, that's just too long of an interval. If you want to be acidic, that's perfectly fine. Go, go 60 seconds. But um, two minutes is not a long enough rest to get rid of the acid. 30 seconds of work. Um, it, and 60 seconds of rest is closer, um, we're getting to that, that point where we can recover, but we're still building up more acid. And what the study found was with 10 seconds of work, 20 seconds of rest, it's not building up acid in the body. So that kind of tells us we're in that sweet spot of pushing ourselves really, really hard, getting a little bit of acid, but then being able to get rid of it, um, clean it up, clean it up with the aerobic system. That's beautiful. And that, and that directly correlates, I believe, to the five rep um, every 30 seconds. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. So, um, this, um, I'm going to come up with who, who came up with the study. I'm trying to remember the details, but, um, it might be a Marty Gabala type of study. I think it, it was one that was based off of his work, but it might not, he might not have been one of the authors, but, um, you know, that, so that idea of pushing, um, straining the system, and then kind of backing off goes with what we were talking about last time of, of you know, that the right amount of stress mm -hmm. helps us um, build and then recover. And, and I've got a, a figure on the screen, and this is just from blacksmithing, which I know very little about, and I'll be able to, to demonstrate I know very little about it as I talk about it, but just this idea of as we're stressing the metal, the steel, with heat and with pounding it, there's a there's a right point where it it gets stronger, and if not, then we fracture it. And that that same thing. If we do too much acidic work, we're going to fracture our system. Not enough, um, we we break it down. That's cool. Yeah. Um. So, if I can take a quick minute, you know, I I don't know why I keep going to commercial breaks for supplements, but. Um, <laughs> You know, I mentioned CoQ10, um, but one thing people talk about is taking antioxidants. And there's this whole antioxidant theory of aging that if we just block um, this reactive oxidative species, um, you know, we'll stop causing damage to our body and we'll be, you know, live forever. And so for years, people were pushing taking antioxidants. And, um, James Watson, um, who won a Nobel Prize, uh, came out with these series of articles. And one of them is kind of uh, titled, well, it is titled, provocatively titled, Do Antioxidants Promote Cancer? Yeah, that'll turn some heads. And, um, and what he's basically saying, and, and he was looking at the literature on cancer, 
And when people were given high doses of antioxidants, which was, they thought would you know, help the person be cured, it was actually leading to faster death, fat, more cancer. And we weren't signaling, we weren't killing off the cancer. Um, we were, we were, the reactive oxidative species weren't saying to the cells, you know, this one's bad, kill it off. So we were promoting growth of these bad cells because we were stopping the signaling process. Um, another thing that we, we see with uh, antioxidants is if you take them right after exercise, you kind of nullify that effect of exercise. Um, so vitamin C and vitamin E supplements, you know, right after you get done with a tough workout, you're kind of shutting off that signaling process that's telling the body to, you know, recover better or to recover and to get stronger. Um, so I think antioxidants are useful, but again, at the right point in time and, and at the right, um, you know, doses. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, it depends type of question again, you know, do I take antioxidants? Well, um, you can, but don't take them right after exercise. That is so fascinating. I mean, back in the day, it was like you had to take all your, your stuff right after the workout, that magic window, and you had to get all the protein, and you had to get all the, all the good things in there. And you might have not been doing yourself any favors. Yep. Yeah. And, and the, it's the term we mentioned in the last time was noxious phytochemicals. And maybe, you know, um, maybe when we're eating vegetables, it's not the antioxidants that are having that effect. It's the reaction our bodies are having to um, some of these other chemicals in vegetables that um, it's causing bad cells to, to be removed and, you know, damaged cells to be removed and those type of things. So maybe that's uh, part of the reason vegetables are, are good for us. So fascinating. I like that take. Um, yeah. And then just again, that, that the signaling process, I, this is um, just a, the mitochondria and just kind of a general stepping back a minute. I probably should have said this earlier. The mitochondria are in our cells. They have DNA that is different from our DNA. It's, they're like a, a little creature that um, lives within us. Um, and are you a Star Wars fan? Oh, yeah. Um, what is it in the, the, the prequels that causes the force? Um, midichlorians. Midichlorians, nice. Midichlorians. So it, the mitochondria are almost like midichlorians in our body. And it's what gives us energy, what gives us life. But they're not from us. They're you know passed down to us from our mother. Most of um, um, mitochondria come from the mother, um, the DNA in there. But they're not our DNA. They're separate DNA. So the, this, like, the idea that was maybe at one point in time there's a microorganism, but it's just been passed on, um, these mi mitochondria are what's creating our, all of our energy and we're re reliant on it, but it has its own type of DNA. Um, and we want to get rid of poor performing ones that uh, you know, D uh, mitochondria um, don't last forever. They start to perform badly and we wanna create new ones. And, and um, this is a, a big rabbit hole I started going down was um, mitochondria fission and fusion and what can lead to one or the other. So when we're doing fusion, we're creating bigger, more efficient mitochondria. When we're doing fission, we're breaking them into two pieces. So we have two new mitochondria. Um, if we've got bad mitochondria, we don't want fusion because that's just creating bigger, 
bad inefficient mitochondria that aren't that's uh, the smoky car I'm mixing um, analogies now but it's it's just not an efficient one and you know if it's it could lead to cancerous type cells we don't want fusion then um, we want to kill off and have autophagy of our mitochondria in that situation um, so it, it is kind of fascinating. So one of, you know, one of the things that we can use to get rid of bad mitochondria is fasting. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this before, but um, when we fast, our body starts this autophagy, starts eating bad cells and getting rid of them. And that, that's a useful cleaning out of the system. Um, exercise also can get rid of those bad cells and that uh, mitochondria sending off those reactive oxidative species is, is one of those signaling processes. Oh, great. This is, this is really good. Uh, two questions on this. Um, is it beneficial to exercise fasted for this reason for the autophagy? And is it okay to fast some days of the week, like every other day or every three days? I, I don't know the answer to this question. I, I, I've been trying to figure this out myself. I think, I think everything in cycles, like we want, so, I mean, if we think about the if pure optimal system, we want to kill off the bad ones and then what we have left, we want to grow. And so, you know, it, AMPK is thought to be the process that, you know, kind of uh, signals off killing of the bad ones. And, you know, the, when we fast, we have AMPK response. When we exercise, we have, an AMPK response. Um, and then we have a IGF insulin like growth factor that creates more muscles and kind of grows things. Um, we can't live with just one or the other. If we were always fasting, we'd waste away. If we we're always building muscle, we might build a lot of uh, crappy stuff on top of other, you know, crappy systems. Um, so I think we have to kind of cycle those. And I think your, your idea of, you know, every other day, every few days. And that, that's how I tend to cycle things. I tend to, you know, I'll take a longer day fasting, um, you know, once a week and then, you know, shorter fast throughout the week. And then, you know, there's days where it's, I call my IGF day where, you know, I'll weight train and then do my branch chain amino acids afterwards. And, you know, yeah. I'm trying to build the muscles. And you know, so, um, you know, I've got my window, my anabolic window when I take my protein and stuff right after workout. And, you know, other days it's, you know, I'll fast and fast and I, mostly I'm doing exercise fasted just because of my schedule, but makes sense. Okay. I'm developing up a theory in my head. What I, I wouldn't do starting to, to today, I guess is do the lighter O three three or those kind of AMA trainings on fasted. And then if it's a heavier one and I feel like I've really got to the threshold, maybe um, have some food afterwards. Yeah. Nope. That, that's a, that's a, a great strategy. I think so. Cool. Put that yeah. in place. All right. Yeah, so um, this is just, uh, I've got on the screen another, um, you know, sort of this, this hormesis process where the mitochondria are getting stronger in this signaling. Um, this doesn't really say a whole lot. I'm going to just kind of skip one slide ahead. This one says a little bit more. Um, and actually, I'm skipping even one more. So this is... Um, Eric Verdin's work, and, and this is to me one of the, my articles that really kind of changed things for me. It came out in science in 2015, and you know he was describing a lot of these aging processes. And in, in this one, sort of the center is NAD. And we talked about NAD as the car that drives the hydrogen around. Um, so if there's not enough NAD in the body, 
Um, the hydrogens are kind of loose and causing problems. Um, it also, the NAD signals um, a lot of these other processes like this PARP and um, that uh, signals DNA, you know, fixing DNA. If we don't have enough um, NAD, then we start to have a DNA damage. And um, we can also, you know, just all these different things, like if we have a certain type of diet that causes inflammation, it reduces our NAD. If we um, have that sort of reduction, it can cause problems with our insulin sensitivity because our, our um, pancreas doesn't secrete enough insulin and it becomes less efficient. It, if it doesn't, if the mitochondria is not working in the pancreas, it's we're not creating insulin as well. Um, also leads to brain problems, uh, uh, cognitive uh, dysfunction. Um, there's a lot of signaling processes that you know mitochondria. I mean, as we're thinking, the energy system, you know, our, our brain is is um, uh, we need a lot of it. Um, so a lot of dementias are thought to be caused by mitochondria dysfunction. Um, you know, the muscular system, anytime we have a breakdown in that, you know, that could be mitochondria problem. And then also liver dysfunction. So as we look at this process of aging, there's a lot of evidence that the mitochondria could be causal mechanism for a lot of these um, problems in aging. I don't think I explained that all that well, but um, Eric Verden's science article, 2015, people can read that and really see just how broad reaching this is. And it's more than just 033 and exercise. It's, you know, how do we age? And, and this is what really, um, you know, threw me for a loop, like just my insulin sensitivity, the way that I'm thinking, like I think clearer when I'm doing these type of protocols. Like, I don't know how you felt just after one weekend of, an acidic protocol, but if I'm worn out from, you know, training all the time, I just not thinking very clearly either. I can definitely double down on that. Yeah. I um, <laughs> was not thinking very well Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> A little bit of break from work. Yep. Yep. So, um, you know, I, I think this, this is what's even more fascinating to me. Like I'd like my athletic performance to be better, but I want to live longer and healthier for for many years of course and think clearly too i mean that's so powerful to be able to have good memory and functional uh, brain mm -hmm. yep yeah and and so i i think you know this slide really kind of highlights all those type of things there's you know there's probably much more than i'm not even saying that you know that that's related to how mitochondria affect the body but um you know it's 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 affecting a lot of systems directly but probably many more indirectly as well um i'm going to kind of marinate just a, just a few random studies um you so just for the listeners sean and i were talking about this offline and he said that i could bore the crap out of you so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna <laughs> i'm just gonna hit you with all the science if you're not asleep yet this will cure all insomnia but um you know i'm pulling up another article from nature uh, medicine and this is with the cold adaptation and um what we'll see with this so this this was an interesting study it's just um they put people in a 50 degree room um i was going to translate that to celsius but I, I know i'd be way off um so 50 degrees fahrenheit and just had them sort of in a short term colder room and it really changed uh, type 2 diabetes and actually um, kind of reduced the risk and pulled them out of a type 2 diabetes risk group 
And what's interesting about the study was that it, it, it seemed to affect AMPK. Um, so again, that AMPK is that, that trigger, that molecule that's kind of signaling um, a lot of beneficial functions, one of cre creating more uh, mitochondria, but it also brown um, activated fat, um, which has got more mitochondria in it. Um, you know, it, it activated more of that. We have more mitochondria, we can create more ATP, our pancreas functions better. So this cold, just regular, like a, not a super cold room, but 50, 55 degrees or so, um, changed uh, type two diabetes status. I am gonna use this information to have my in-laws lower the temperature when we visit next time. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and uh, 50 degrees translates to 10 degrees Celsius. Just 10 degrees Celsius, okay. Um, just a quick random aside, I decided all my weight equipment at home, I was gonna switch to kilograms because I thought I should learn the metric system. And what it, what it comes to is I just never know what weight I'm lifting. <laughs> I put, you know, 85 kilograms, I'm like, I don't know what this is, but um, feels about right. Feels about right, I like that. So um, was there a duration of time that they, in this, at this temperature? And is there a better uh, response if you get a bit colder? I, see, there's not a lot of research on this. This is just kind of one of the bigger papers that came out. Um, I think they were, let me see if I see it in here. It wasn't that long of time in this type of room temperature. Um, I don't, I would seem like shorter duration or um, colder would work better. I, I don't know if there's a linear relationship with this or not. Um, I was kind of surprised at this one. One, it's in a big journal, but two, it wasn't that cold and it wasn't that long. Um, I mean, we're, we're kind of taught to take really cold ice baths and do all these extreme things, but you know, even this, um, and it was um, not a very long period for the study. It was just a few days. Um, so it, it really changed things in I think 10 days. Wow. Yeah. Down by 43%. That's crazy. Was it you or was it Brad Kearns who brought to my attention um, the person who was tracking their insulin sensitivity and the biggest reward was the, the cold shower or the ice bath? It probably was Brad. Brad is, uh, I don't know if he told you about his um, ice bath system. I'm very jealous of it. He bought a freezer and, and sealed it with caulk. And so it's, it's temperature controlled. He just has a lid on it. Um, and he just goes in it every morning and it's, it's, it's awesome. Um, yeah, I have to put ice in mine and then I just don't use it as much. I just use it in winter when I don't have to do anything with it. So. Mm, I'll pitch the wife on that this weekend. <laughs> Maybe you can uh, motivate my family too on that. So it's a win-win, let's do it. I'm looking for a used one, but I'm just thinking that might get it through the system. But um, so fasting is, you know, we've we just talked about fasting, but in, in this article that I have here, it just talks about how it reduces um, uh, cancer, some other chronic diseases. You know, this is, you know, it, it seems like we're doing some fringe type science with this, but, you know, when we look at the mechanisms, they make a lot of sense that, you know, when mitochondria function more efficiently, when we get rid of bad cells, um, that's when we um, do better. So, um, you know, this one's just alternate day fasting. And I believe um, this one might even be, not even be like a full fast. Like this might be the reduced calorie one that if I'm, if I pulled up the screenshot of the right one, but um, you know, it's not that extreme of a fasting protocol either. So it's, it's something that's pretty manageable. So a lot of the, the studies are doing things that are much more manageable than, you know, 
we think again we have to go to the extremes but um this is relatively manageable you're right you know i think some people might uh get turned off right away with the word fasting or skipping meals and i was one of those people that had to have breakfast like you had to have breakfast to break the fast I have a hard time eating breakfast nowadays because I feel so much better skipping it and potentially even lunch. It's, it's very easy. My wife even started doing it and yeah, we can all do it. Yep. And, and that, that idea of, and this is what um, Brad Kearns and Mark Sisson are, are really working on that, that sort of um, when you're fat adapted and you're doing that sort of maffetone type protocol where you're just staying in the aerobic system, you don't feel hungry for carbohydrates, it's a lot easier to, to fast and you've got, you, your body can utilize fats for energy and it's like, it's no problem to, you know, if you're constantly needing sugar, it's, it's harder to fast. So I think fat, you know, fasting can help you um, become more fat adapted and use your aerobic system better too. Yeah, it's wonderful. Works really well. And then the last, uh, you know, this is, we had, we're talking, I was trying to bring in human um, big picture studies. This one's just looking at, uh, this was something with dogs and it's kind of, um, you know, sad to think about, you know, the research that they did with these dogs, but they basically um, gave dogs heart attacks by occluding a, a blood vessel. And what happens when you do this and what happens in a heart attack is that um, when blood doesn't get to an area, you don't get a replenishment, um, the, it starts to get glycolytic. And there's this lot of this, this acid buildup. And then when the blood comes to the area, um, that's when the damage actually is occurring. Um, and so what they did with these, these dogs was that they basically had them get less oxygen um, to their system. So they kind of preconditioned them that, you know, you can um, not live on oxygen as much and then, you know, gave them a heart attack and they do much better. Um, and, and this is kind of goes along with our idea of, of, you know, nasal breathing and these other types of breathing. It's actually helping our muscles become more conditioned to not having all the oxygen it needs, all of the residual CO2, um, you know, which is really a way for our body to get rid of the acid. So we can handle it in a much better manner um, by doing this type of uh, nasal breathing and other breathing exercises. Oh, very cool. And you're mentioning that uh, you're talking with uh, Peter, I believe, and he was holding his breath for uh, quite a long time. And uh, he has pulsometer, right? Check mm -hmm. uh, blood oxygen saturation. He's getting into the 80s, was it? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, um, I, I just remember him. I wasn't watching his data all weekend, but he's like, "Oh, good, eighty-six, or you know, something along those lines." So, um, he—I mean, he's really good at that and been practicing quite a bit. But his body doesn't respond. I think most of us would feel pretty, feel quite an effect in, at eighty-six percent. So, um, yeah, he's—he can do that pretty easily, just holding his breath. Incredible! It's incredible what people can do. Yeah, I think Peter would be an interesting person to have on the show to talk about breathing, because especially for your audience and, you know, anything up in the elevation like you're doing would be, be useful. I'll, I'll reach out to him. And just for the heck of it, I, I brought a pulsometer when I was camping two nights ago. And um, yeah, it was, it was fun, like hold the breath and I can get down to, to low 90s. But usually it was staying like 97 at like 10,500 feet, which is kind of crazy. And I mean, that's, you know, a, a good thing that you've got such, you know, good, um, a good system that it stays at 97. Um, I can never get mine lower either like he can. Uh, so, yeah. and, and he's, he's a master 
Beauty Echo breathing instructor. So, I mean, this is what he does. So I'll introduce you guys. So, um, yeah, I think, it, I think he'd be really, I'd like to hear him talk more about it too. So yeah, that sounds fantastic. Oh, this is great. Yeah. I, um, you know, I think all this was really fascinating and again, it's, you know, just figuring things out. And once you get down this rabbit hole of, you know, these mechanisms, it's like, wow, all these things are connected. Right. And I, and I hope, and I know that a lot of listeners and the viewers, the viewers scored on this podcast. This was a class from a professor. So uh, I have literally two notepads of notes. Um, so I'll try and include everything you mentioned in here. Um, but yeah, and hopefully even a person curious about health and fitness, hopefully this was helpful. Like, what energy systems are? What a mitochondria? I didn't know the mitochondria had different DNA. That kind of freaked me out for a moment, but makes me appreciate <laughs> there's an alien inside of us. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really fascinating stuff. And why you feel sore after doing, uh, you know, an intense workout with little rest um, and what you can do to change it if you want to change it and um, how you can uh, get more insulin sensitive uh, with the cold exposure. And it wasn't even that cold. 50 degrees is like warm to me. Like I were, that's shorts weather still. But, you know, <laughs> yep, yep. And I know Craig does this all the time too when he has colder temperatures. Uh, this is super fat. It, we've we've given a lot of information, but is there anything else you want to cover? Uh, you know, just when you're kind of repeating all that, kind of reminded me, just like the supplements. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the right dose is what's important. And you know, if we don't necessarily have to go to all these extremes. If we're, you know, uh, if there's a healthy 22 year old listening to this, you may not need to, you know, worry so much about um, all of these, you know, cold exposure and things. Um, as you get in your thirties, you know, maybe then it's, you know, more important to do this. You need that insulin sensitivity a little bit more. And, and you know, as you get older, I think these, you know, processes start to break down a little bit. So to be as efficient as possible, you, you, you know, doing more and more of these things is probably important. So again, the dose is important and their individual differences, you know, of, of who you are, what level you're at is, is probably what's um, important. Uh, I, I would don't think a 22 year old needs to go out and follow all this, this advice, but. Yeah, no, that's a good correlation. I, um, we were doing our coaches course this week and we were, we're putting together, you know, what should be the standards. And there was some young, really, really fit people in there. And they were able to almost easily do a lot of stuff that me at 41, almost 42 was like, this is a challenge, <laughs> you know? So, but maybe when they get to our age, they will incorporate some of the techniques that we've you brought to our attention and, um, and maintain as best as possible and uh, age well, perform well. That's my goal. Just yeah. age well. <laughs> you, I used to have bigger performance goals, but now it's just age well. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, it's so fun watching these people who are, who are very competitive and like they want to increase their whatever wad time or, or decrease it, I guess. Um, and look at me. I'm like, I just want to feel good and like, operate well. That's all. <laughs> Do not exactly. care about anything else in numbers. But yeah. Oh, Craig, this has been really, really informative, very helpful. And um, if listeners, if you have a chance, please watch this YouTube video because there are very helpful slides. Um, it, and it was not boring at all, Craig. It was very, very helpful. Uh, yeah, it was cool to revisit some of the stuff I haven't seen in a long time and learn way more about it. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I usually say my mom and my wife are the only ones that 
would think this is interesting, but uh, I've got a, a third uh, third member of this group now. So. Absolutely, <laughs> glad to be in the group. That was great. It's always awesome to talk with you. I mean, I, you know, you and I talked before this, um, how we just geek out when we, we get to talk. So I'm, thank you very much for allowing this. Well, I appreciate it very much. And uh, just chatting with Eric Frohart as he's flying over uh, Denver right now, and he said, um, see if we can get invited down to your, your outdoor gym. So I don't want to yeah. That would be awesome. I, I, um, I love uh, I love being the outdoor gym in the wintertime. It's 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 awesome. So little little challenge on the cold kettlebells. But, um, you know, I, I joke that when it's below 25 degrees Fahrenheit, that the kettlebells kind of suck your soul out of your hands. But uh, <laughs> other, otherwise, it's good. I can appreciate that. Uh, well, thank you, Dr. Marker. Thank you for your time. I definitely look forward to a part three uh, digging down deeper. And um, all you engagement listeners and followers and viewers, hopefully you found this helpful. If you have any questions, I'm going to put as much in the show notes as possible and uh, links to more of Craig's work, uh, a lot of great articles, and just a great person. So um, all the best to you, Craig, and all the best to you listeners and viewers out there. Until next time, take care. <laughs>